Generally Speaking About the Church, podcast episode number 20. This program is a production of the Generally Speaking Podcast Network. You'll find this and other podcasts on our website at gspn.tv. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Generally Speaking About the Church. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and this episode is part two in a series titled Religion Bites. Now, I want to let you guys know, if you're new to this podcast, that this is not typically the format of this show. In fact, I'm doing something here I've never done before, and that is I'm taking a sermon series from a church and literally just playing it for you. And uh, I I have strong feelings about uh, having some kind of interaction or sharing my heart personally with you guys. And so it is not my desire to turn the Generally Speaking About the Church podcast into a feed that I'll just be releasing just basically straight out sermons that were preached at a worship celebration on the weekend uh, for some particular church. And so that's not going to be what this podcast actually turns out being. In fact, I will make I will go ahead and tell you that this past Sunday was the third and final sermon in the series for Religion Bites. Uh, preached at Watermark Community Church, and that was by Pastor Chad Cadell. And if you want to learn more about Watermark Community Church, it's watermarkcc.net, I believe is the website. And uh, basically, the reason why I felt so passionate about this sermon series, and I know if you heard the introduction to part one, it's pretty much the same thing. It's just that this fits so perfectly in what's been going on in my own heart and mind uh, as the days have gone by and just feeling this rest, restlessness about just getting stuck in a routine of trying to live my relationship with God through a bunch of things that I do. And um, if you haven't listened to part one, again, go back and listen to it. But I just want to read to you uh, a little bit of feedback that I just recently got. I'm reading this from one of the uh, members on our forum over at gspn.tv slash forum. And this is what somebody wrote to me in a private email. It says, hey, I like the church stuff that you spoke about. My church is going through relationship issues. I think we are too puffed up on knowledge and critiquing sermons. We are too worried about biblical theology and the difference between propitiation and expiation uh, that we've lost the big picture. Basically, God is love. He sent his son who died for sinful man. Jesus is the example of how sh- how we should treat others. Jesus went to every everyone. He went to the lowest of the low and shared with them the good news of repentance and his mercy. And they repented and they followed him. Jesus was relational. And this individual wrote in his final remarks, I feel institutionalized even as a low evangelical church. And he asked me to pray that God's word will shape and change him. So let's go to prayer before we start off here. Dear Lord, I just uh, come before you and thank you for the message that uh, is encompassing this series titled Religion Bites. And Lord, uh, I pray that the folks that, that hear this will understand and hear the subtle words that are spoken in it and and not take away any kind of initial reaction and say, okay, I'm closing my mind to this. 
please help them to understand and hear the comments where where Pastor Chad says, you know, it's not so much that religion is bad or 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 that it's it doesn't have its place, but it's it's when it becomes the end all, the be all, the goal of our Christian existence to follow the rules, then we we've lost focus on you and and I just pray that many people will break free from this feeling of just being institutionalized, that they feel like they're just part of the 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 well-oiled machine called the church and doing ministry in a box. And I just pray that these words will be um, water for those who thirst for for just having a revival of their own hearts. And uh, I just thank you for this message and what it's meant to me to to really reinforce and and confirm in my own heart what what you've been working in within my own life and i just pray that i would uh focus more on my relationship with you and and loving you with all my heart mind soul spirit and everything within me and to love my neighbor as myself lord help me to do those things help me to focus those help me to make those my end goal and lord whether it be you know attending a a stations on the cross that helps me keep my mind focused on you or whether it be kneeling before you in prayer or whether it be opening your word and and catching some new fresh insight let those things be lord things that help me to connect to you but let me not make those things the end all be all goal of whether or not i have a, a good standing in my relationship with you help me to spend time with you and not be so caught up in all the things that I supposedly are, are doing for you. And so I just thank you and give you praise for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we go, folks. I'm going to go ahead and start this sermon right at the very beginning where Chad is opening up also in prayer. God bless, and I'll be back again next week with part three of this sermon series. And God, the whole goal of the series these few weeks is that, that we would avoid and maybe even be freed from the prison of religion. 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 This thing that has this this unattractive way of actually at times pushing people further away from you. This thing that has this peculiar habit for, for living for the rules and for being something that can just suck the life out of people and out of your church. And so, God, I just ask today that you would just continue uh, to break some of those chains and that you would continue to teach us how to be a kind of people and a kind of church that lives in the freedom of Christ. And I ask these things in your name. Amen. For all you internet junkies out there, um, let, me, let me throw out a question this morning. Hey, guys, can we bring up the house lights just a little bit? That's awesome. Let's make sure people are, you know, got guns out or anything. Here, so, you know, uh, let me throw out a question. What do you think is the most Googled thing on the Internet? Number one Googled thing on the Internet. What is it? Anybody? Speak up. eBay. eBay? Okay. Good, good, good guess. What else? Okay, nobody surfs the Internet. Okay. Anything. It's not a wrong answer. What else? Directions. Directions okay. All right, what else? Music. Music, news, any other guesses? What? Okay, all right. Any other guesses? Okay, let me, let me tell you what the number one thing Googled on the internet is. Sex. Sex. 
Number one thing you'll get on the internet. Now, I understand this is one of those questions you don't want to be the first to go, I know, I know. <laughs> you know maybe that's why everybody's kind of like, oh, I don't know, I've never been on the internet before, the World Wide Web. What is that? Okay, so I understand if you're not, hey, I know. <laughs> that's fine. Let me ask you another question. What is the number two thing Google? What's the second most Googled thing on the internet? You might be surprised. What do you think it is? Shopping? Okay, good guess. Religion? Okay, yeah, God. Okay, God. Believe it or not, God is the second most searched thing, most Googled thing. And I find it very interesting, and here's why. Here's why. The internet is to sex what religion is to God. It really is. Hear me say that again. The internet is to sex what religion is to God. Okay, let me explain what I'm talking about here. If you go to the internet looking for sex, you're not going to get the real thing, okay? You're going to get some insights, some tips, whatever else you might find there. But no one in this room would argue that if you go to the internet looking for sex, that it's going to be the real thing. It might be the best some of you are getting, and that's your business, but you're not going to get the real thing. And the same is true with religion. If you go solely to religion, okay, which we've defined here as a, a system of rules, a system of beliefs, a system of do's and don'ts, a system that tells you to work on these following things in order to find God, you're not going to find the real thing. And in both of those cases, they're both just an attempt at the real thing. You only end up getting what's a substitute for the real thing. It's kind of a knockoff or a cheap imitation of the real thing. And the weird thing about religion, when you begin to look at it, we tend to think people who are religious, oh, they're so godly. Religion really has very little to do with God himself. When you think about it and you really study it, religion's all about me. It's really much more about my efforts, my attempts and my pursuits to impress God and to get God's attention and earn God's favor. And that's what religion tells us to do, you know? Religion says you need to acquire this, you need to do this, you need to try this, you need to do these things in order to have God in your life. But I'm gonna tell you this morning, if you try to find God solely through religion, finding him and really experiencing him is just about as likely as having great sex through a computer. You're not gonna catch your life to the real thing. Now, I'm gonna call a time out here because I feel the tension in the room already. Ooh, okay. Some of you are uncomfortable right now. Some of you are concerned. Some of you don't like what I'm saying. Okay, and I'm, I'm well aware of that. That happens here frequently, okay? But here's what I wanna say to that. I'm gonna ask you to be open to a possibility right now if that's where you are. And the possibility that I'm gonna ask you to be open to is that just maybe the reason you're uncomfortable and you're bothered by what I'm saying is because you're trying to find God through religion. And what I'm saying, these things, I'm poking at something with you. And I know I am. And in love, I want you to know I mean to poke. <laughs> it's intentional. And I ask you to be open to the poking, okay? To just consider. And what I want you to hear is what I'm not saying today or in the series. I'm not saying religion is awful, it's of the devil, okay? Religion's good at times. Religion at times is a good thing when it's a vehicle that, that equips you in your relationship with God, it's a good thing then. Uh, religion is a good thing when it's one of many tools that maybe actually helps you find God and then stay on that path. At those times, it's a good thing. But religion becomes a very dangerous, often deadly thing when it itself becomes the goal, the main idea, the point. Because religion itself 
doesn't have the ability to give life. It doesn't begin to have the power to transform a heart. It actually has the power, if we're not careful, to suck the life out of you, out of others, and out of God's church. It's dangerous when it becomes the point and the goal. Now, you might say, well, then, then what's the point? Okay, what, what, then what is the point? It's a great question, and Jesus answers it very clearly in John 14, 6. And in the statement we're going to see him make, it's one of the most significant statements in all of Scripture. Look what he says. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. His statement totally contradicts what religion says. Totally contradicts what religion says. Because religion, all religion, even Christian religion says, no, uh uh-uh, no, that's not right. If you want to know God and do life with God and be connected to God and find God, you got to jump through these hoops. You got to clear hurdles A, B, and C. You got to follow rigidly this system. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to wear these clothes. Don't drink that. Don't hang out with those people. Don't ever miss a service. I mean, on and on, this laundry list of things in order to earn God's favor. And Jesus says, No, (laughs) no. Hear me again. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the life. Not the religious systems that were named after me. Not people who write books about me. Not people who slap my name on the back of a bumper sticker on their car. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And the whole reason we're doing this series is because one of the tragedies that I see today in the church and in our world is there's a lot of good-intentioned people who have gone through religion to find God, but all they found is religion and how to be religious as opposed to finding God through the person of Jesus that really frees and really changes a life. Some of you in this room, good intention in your whole life, you've been trying to find God through religion and the dance of religion and being religious, and to this day you still don't know God. You know a lot about God. You know a lot of things of God. You hang out with people that worship God and talk about God and do life with God, but you don't know God. It's like me and Pete Rose, okay? I'm a baseball junkie. I love the Reds, and I grew up loving the big red machine. I idolized Pete Rose. I wrote him letters. When he broke the hit record, I wrote him a poem. I have a little frame at my house as a nerd. <laughs> can he get the hits? Oh, yes, he can. I mean, he's a nerd. I love Pete Rose. Now, I know everybody says he's the biggest jerk if you ever meet him, and, and he gambled, blah, blah, blah. But if you look at the game of baseball, he's a phenomenon. The guy had very little talent and just a ton of hustle. You don't see it in sports today anymore. Love the guy. I could tell you anything about his career. I have all his baseball cards. I collect his memorabilia. I love everything about Pete Rose. But I don't know Pete Rose. I I don't know him. And my fear is that for some of us, we know a lot of things about God, but yet we don't know God. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He didn't say Christianity is the way. Christianity is the truth. Christianity is the life. He didn't say, religion is the way, religion is the truth, religion is the life. And I can tell you something he definitely didn't say. Watermark is the way, watermark is the truth, watermark is the life. He didn't say that. Anybody ever seen this little green guy here? What's his name? Anybody know? Mr. Yuck, 
okay? Now, I don't know if you had this where you grew up or whatever, but back in the 70s and early 80s, there was this big Mr. Yuck campaign going on. And it was part of elementary school's curriculums and it was to assist parents in their parenting. And the whole premise of Mr. Yuck, hence the upside down smiley face and the tongue sticking out, was that parents could get sheets of these Mr. Yuck stickers and they could go through their house and you could put them on things that you didn't want your kid to ingest. Poisons, household cleaners, bleach, things like that. Things that basically could kill them or they'd die from if they ingested them. And so parents will do that. And in order to kind of like push this campaign, they came with these little like TV commercials. And uh, they would always run during children's programming. You know, never failed. You'd be sitting there watching, you know, Scooby-Doo. Zoink, Scoob! You know, Zoink, Scoob, we gotta get out of here. It's like really weird in here, you know. Or, um, or like... Or like Popeye, you know, or, or, or Looney Tunes, Father, I'm ashamed, Father, I'm catching mouse, you know, or, or Foghorn Leghorn, he's a boy, I say boy, I say boy, and he's spanking the beagle on the rear end, you know, and then immediately it would cut to this. It's okay, you can hold the hand of the person you're sitting next to if you need to. see that as a child anybody at all okay yeah now here's the deal some of you are still in therapy from that to this day or or having night terrors and wetting the bed and I understand (laughs) but but here's the deal here's the deal there are many things that I think many of us are looking to to get life that we're looking to get life from Many things we're looking to that we think exist to give us life, things that we think exist to help us encounter God, to give us life and to find him, and they're things that are only shadows of God. They're things that when you boil it all down, they're really nothing more than religion. And if we're not careful, they can kill us. Let me give you an example of one of these. This is the Outstanding Band Member Award from the class of 1990 at Connor High School, okay? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Hello, ladies. Okay, now, this, my senior year, was the coveted award of the Connor High School Band Program, and I wanted that award. Now, I was a pretty decent musician. I played the trumpet, studied music in college, but there were some things that, you know, like a Jan Carruthers who plays keyboard is like a musical monster. She can do anything. I had to work harder than that. I didn't quite have those types of gifts and talents, and so I was determined. I'm going to pass every test, do everything I can, because I want to get this award. It's only going to one senior, and I'm going home with this my senior year. And so I practiced like crazy. I, uh, I'd go home, I'd practice three or four hours a night after playing at school all day. Um, I sacrificed the dating scene uh, for that to happen. Shut up. And, uh, 
all kinds of things. I remember my, my lips sometimes was like, oh, they look like hamburger. And one of my friends said, hey, try putting preparation H on. I heard it works, and I did. And that was fascinating. I became a real butt kisser. And I uh, did that. Uh, gotten all these ensembles. I went to clinics. I took private lessons. I did everything I could to pass the test in order to get that award. And I got the award. I got it. But that award, here's what I want to tell you that, that, that award is. That award is a shadow of what religion does. It really is. That's a shadow of what religion does. Because religion says you must do this in order to be accepted by God. You must believe this, do that, go there, receive this in order for God to accept you. You must clear this hurdle, this hurdle, this hurdle, spin around three times, go here at 1020, do this, read this, in order to be accepted by God. And you know who the people are that love outstanding band member awards? The people who get outstanding band member awards. Those are the people who like them, the people who are good at it. And I'll tell you who's not going to like what I have to say today. People who are good at religion. You're going to hate this service. You already do. You hate the whole series. Because you're good at religion. You're good at it. And you're sitting there going, well, Chad, you shouldn't be so bitter. I mean that some people are more talented than you and you had to work that hard and you're just bitter. You think everybody ought to get an award. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is I just believe there's some awards that we're working really hard for that just really don't matter much to God. They just really don't. See, some of us here are really good at religion. I mean, we're really good at it. We're good at carving out an hour on Sunday for church, maybe attending a Bible study, the food drive comes, we're like, woo I feel good about doing that and feeding hungry people, memorizing some prayers, reading some verses, acquiring biblical knowledge. Boom, 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 serving here, serving there, doing the drill. And so for me to sit up here today and to say that none of those things impress God, it really bothers you. It really does, I know. And it bothers you because you're good at it. It's, it's become your in. It's your award. It's what you do. It's kind of become your relationship with God. But we're doing this series because we want to see people freed up from the weariness of working the religious system. Doing the religious dance, it's tiring. It really is. It's not fulfilling. And eventually, you just have this hole inside of you like something's missing. And instead of, of finding life, you just got bitterness. Instead of being filled with truth, you just have a whole lot of confusion. And then when that happens, what happens is you get really mad at God but God isn't who you should be mad at. You should be mad at the religious system that's let you down. The system of earning awards, getting brownie points with God and keeping score rather than just actually knowing God himself. Stay away from that, guys. Put a big Mr. Yuck sticker on that. Slap it on there. Stay away from it, okay? Stay away from anything, any person, any place that says you must do this in order to have a relationship with God. See, we have, to, we have to kill this idea of, of the need to measure up. Where some of us are saying, I've got to measure up, I've got to do more. No, Jesus says, I've measured up. I've already taken care of that. I've measured up. I have. Remember the cross? Right there is where I measured up. On the cross, I met every requirement that God would ever need to have fulfilled. Okay? It's already done. You don't need to do anything. It's already been done. And what Jesus is telling us is that if you come into a relationship with me, you measure up because I've measured up. When you come into a relationship with me, you measure up. You measure up. There's nothing else 
that you have to do. There's no hoops to jump through. Nothing else that has to be done because I've measured up. I've met all the requirements and because I've met the requirements, you meet the requirements. In a relationship with me, you get all my grades. You get all my outstanding band member awards. You get all my goodness, all my holiness, all my righteousness. It's like getting a wire transfer directly to your account because I've measured up already. Guys, don't forget that. That is the core central message of Jesus is this. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You know, we looked last week in the Bible and remind how Jesus, he's the kind of guy, he virtually could get along with anybody. His life just oozed this amazing love and compassion for people. He got along with the Romans uh, until the very end when they, they chose to kill him. <laughs> uh, he got along with cheaters. He got along with people that didn't have any sexual boundaries whatsoever. He got along with people who at the end of the party liked to tie another one or two, three on before they took off. He got along with people who liked to laugh. Who did we see last week was the only group of people he didn't get along well with? Who was it? Yeah, religious types. The religious types. The people who knew the religious rules and laws backwards and forwards but didn't begin to know him. He just didn't get along well with them. And we need to learn something from that this morning, guys. We need to learn that it was always the religious people. It was always the people who got the religious award. It was always the people who measured up. It was always the people who did all the right things and expected everybody else to do it that Jesus just didn't get along well with. And we see a great example of this in Luke 5, beginning in verse 33. Look with me what it says. It says, they said to him, John's disciples often fast. Okay, now, if you don't know, John was a friend of Jesus. He was John the Baptist who came right before him. Okay, it says, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Pharisees were a very religious, elite, ruling kind of group. It says, but yours, they, they go on eating and drinking. Okay? Now, let me pause right there. What you got here, you got the religious type going, hey, hey whoa, whoa, whoa. John and, and his guys, his disciples, I mean, they're not eating. And, and the Pharisees over there, they're, they're going without food. I mean, that group's doing it, that, they're doing it. You're not doing it. You're not doing it, and your, your friends aren't doing it either. You're not measuring up. You're not following the rules. What, what's your problem? And here's what Jesus says. He says, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. Jesus is basically saying, look, here's the deal. Everybody who is here right now is the bride, and I'm the groom. I'm the knight in shining armor. I'm the groom that's going to come into heaven to have an actual relationship with them. And this right now, right here, it's a party. It's a reception. It's party time. That's what it is. And nobody to party and nobody to reception wants to be fasting. That's like dieting at graders. Nobody wants to do that. And these religious people, man, they're blowing a gasket. They're blowing a gasket because they're, they're too caught up in the rules. And they're so caught up in the rules, they miss the party. They miss the celebration. You go to a host of churches right now, they're meeting right now as we are, and you'll see this played out. You really will. You walk in the midst of something that's supposed to be a worship celebration, a celebration of God and Jesus giving you life, and you're gonna see this very thing going on in so many churches. And that's why we're doing this series, because we don't wanna see it here. We, we just don't. But you go into a church today, and you see people sitting there, hmm, 
I mean, we've sang four songs already. We should never sing that many songs. I'm tired. I don't like that much music. People who are coming in and aren't looking to really be fed and grow, they sit there and go, I caught five problems in the PowerPoint. Mm, somebody didn't check their spellings. He talks too long. I don't like that guitar. It's really loud. I don't know if you know that, but I think he's cheating on his wife. I just want to share this a prayer request. You know? <laughs> Can you believe some of the shorts youth are wearing here in church? My word. And on and on and on. And people are missing the party because they're so hell-bent on the rules. And that's why Jesus just didn't like these religious people. Because they love the rules, but they didn't love him. They love the rules more than they love Jesus. And that's what religious people do. Okay? Jesus is saying, chill, man. Right now, I want everybody drinking, eating, having a good time. It's party time. I want them having fun. Now, at some point, I'm going to leave... There's going to be a lot of sadness. There's going to be a lot of, oh, woe is me. People are going to be depressed and go without food. And you know what? At that point, that might be an appropriate time to fast. But right now, I want people enjoying themselves. I want them enjoying themselves. You know, it's like Jesus saying, why do you have to be so depressed to know God? <laughs> it's a really good question, you know, when you think about it. Why is it, it seems like a, the, the closer you get to God, the more depressed you're supposed to become? Really, really, why is it that the, 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 the closer you get to God, the further you're supposed to get from joy? Yeah, that, that's holy, spiritual. Oh, why is that? Why is it that the closer I get to God, I need to sacrifice up as a burnt offering my entire sense of humor and laughter and silliness? Oh, that honors the Father. You know? Why? Why? And the further I get from, from these things, I need to get further from things that bring me satisfaction because I know the Lord. No, it's stupid. The closer you get to God himself, not religion, not religious ways, the closer you get to God, the closer you get to way, the closer you get to truth, the closer you get to life, you know? And Jesus and his friends, they got this criticism all the time because they just didn't do the religious dance. They said, could care less about that stuff. Rules, laws, ups and downs, uh uh-uh. Not gonna do it. And they took heat for it all the time. But in fairness to Jesus, he never said, I have come to bring you a new religious system. He didn't say that. Jesus never said, I have come to bring upgraded, much improved set of do's and don'ts. No. He said, I've come to bring you a person. And by the way, it's me. It's me. And I really want to have a relationship with you. You ever seen one of these? <laughs> Maybe you've seen one. I don't know if you've been on them or not. Maybe you're on it. Okay, it's a little treadmill action. It's an interesting thing. I was having a neat conversation with, with one of my friends a couple weeks ago. We were talking about being fat and trying to lose weight and stapling our mouth shut and all these different things, you know, to lose weight and eating cheese and meats and Atkins and South Beach and rice cakes and all this stupid stuff. And, and uh, he said something very interesting. He said, man, I'm in, this is the year I'm doing it. I'm getting in shape. And then he said something that just literally cracked me up. He said, he said, now I'm going to get in shape, but he said, I'm not going to go to the gym until after I get in shape. Okay? That's what he said. And this was his, 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 uh, his thoughts. He said, you know, I mean, during the day I can wear a suit and a coat and I can kind of cover up this stuff right in here, you know. But man, you go into the gym, it's like, can't tie it down, can't hold it in. It all just, just kind of hangs out for everybody to see. So he said, I'm going to get in shape, then I'm going to go to the gym. Stupid. Really? You know, here's your sign, you know? <laughs> really, 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 here's your sign. 
But we laugh at that, but that's what religion tells people they have to do with God. They say, you gotta spiritually get in shape, then you can come in a relationship with God. Do all these spiritual calisthenics and gymnastics, then you can get in a relationship with God. When you come to God, by getting to know him first. It's not about taking this series of months and years to try to iron out all the kinks in your morality and spirituality, and then I can finally come to God. No, God says, come to me first thing. Come to me spiritually fat, out of shape, messy, slobby, whatever, and then I'll help you work on those things. But start with me, okay? Here's the other thing about treadmills. What's the point of a treadmill, okay? Is the point of a treadmill just being on the treadmill? No. What's the point of a treadmill? Hang clothes on, okay? <laughs> to get in shape, to get in shape. Or if you're a guy like me, then I have to wear a bra the rest of your life, okay? Different motives for, for different people. Two people got that, thank you. There's your money, okay? But those of you who, who know treadmills know that you don't like treadmills. You don't like them when you're on them, but what is it that you like? You like that when you get off of it, you feel a little bit better in shape, okay? And this is somewhat what religion does, it really is, think about it. Religion tells us, go get on the treadmill. Go get on it right now. Do this, go to this service, read these verses, say these prayers, attend here, serve here, give this, okay? Wear these clothes, don't wear those things. Drink this, don't drink that. These are really big sins. These aren't as big a deal over here because I struggle with them. Jump through these hoops, clear these hurdles, hang out with these people, don't hang out with those people. No earrings, boom, 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 boom. Don't pierce that, maybe pierce that. Nah, never forget it, don't pierce anything. Boom, 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 on and on and on and on. To where we begin to feel, if I can just blaze through this laundry list, I feel close to God, okay? We gotta put a yuck sticker on that. And here's the other thing about treadmills. How do you know when you're done? Really, how do you know when you're done? See, religion, religion makes us feel like we're never quite there. Religion makes us feel like we're just never quite there. I, I, gotta, I gotta attend one more Bible study this week. I gotta pray one more prayer. I gotta serve in, in one more place. And it's this incessant thing that we go and we go and we go and we're really not going anywhere the whole time. You know, just burning rubber, not going anywhere. It's ridiculous. For me, I experienced this when I was about 15 years of age, okay? I grew up in a wonderful, caring church that I love. But I, about the age of 15, you have to kind of go back, first of all, when I was first born. I grew up in church, and I'm glad I did. It built great things into my life. My parents were very faithful to get me there. My mom was the church pianist. My dad was a deacon, often on the front row, serving up and different things like that. And then so I basically went to church right out of the womb. I was there all the time. But I remember about the age of 15, kind of sitting there with my head in my hand, the funeral was playing, or not the funeral, the organ was playing. It seemed like a funeral. <laughs> it basically felt like a funeral. And, um, and I remember just all of a sudden going, why am I here? Why am I here? I, I don't want to be here. And I started looking around at the faces of all the other people in, in the sanctuary. It's obviously they didn't want to be there. Looked like a bunch of people in line for colonoscopies. Nobody wanted to be there. I could see it on their face. And it kind of hit me at the age of 15. Oh, you know what? This, ch this church service thing, it's, it's become a treadmill for me. It just become a treadmill. That's all that hour was for me. It was a treadmill, okay? Don't go to church if it's a treadmill. Don't. If that's all it is, permission to check out. Don't go if it's a treadmill. Go because it's something that can equip you and build you and bring you closer to God and build your relationship strongly in great fashion, but don't go if it's a treadmill. 
This idea of, of doing the religious system, going to church service because we expect us to walk out the God goes, Hercules, 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 he was here again. Goody, goody. And he's got his chart going, brought offering, wore suit and tie, didn't curse this week, attended Sunday school, was nice to five people, went on a mission trip, check, check, check. It's a treadmill. It's a treadmill. Important things, but they're no things that bring us to God, and they're not things that impress God. Put a Mr. Yuck sticker on that. Put a Mr. Yuck sticker. If you think you have to, to come to Watermark even to have a genuine relationship with God, stay away from things that tell you you've got to do this systematically and just like this, or you don't know God. Okay? Now, are there healthy disciplines? Yes. Are there healthy religious systems? Absolutely. But what I'm trying to say today in the series is those things are not the goal. <laughs> they're not what we shoot for. Those hoops and those dances of the religion, they're not the point. They're never the goal. And so we spend our whole life making those things the goal when God is the goal. Jesus is the point. Jesus, 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 who says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's continue to see what Jesus continues to say in the same story, beginning in verse 37. This gets interesting here. He says this. He says, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. Now, what's Jesus doing here? What's he doing? What he's doing is he's equating the difference between having a relationship with him versus the religious system that came before him. And what he's saying is, here's the deal. Me, I'm a new wine. I'm a new wine. My kingdom, it's a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. And if you want to contain me, if you want to have a relationship with me, you must be a flexible person. You must have a new attitude. You see, old wine exists in old wineskins because it's done fermenting. It's done. That process is over. It's, it's reached a place of seasonality. It's reached its full maturity. It's done growing. The whole process is over. And so that wineskin doesn't have to be able to contract or stretch or expand. It can be brittle and old. But man, if you try to pour a new wine that's volatile into this old wineskin that can't stretch or expand, it's gonna bust. It's gonna bust. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm about a new thing. And me and my kingdom that I'm building, it's gotta have a new wineskin to contain me in the new things that I'm doing. It's gotta have a wineskin that can stretch and adjust and expand and change. And see, one of the things that's dangerous about religion is that it's always about the old as opposed to the new. Always. You go to the local church most places today, it's exactly what you'll find. I can tell you horror stories of hundreds of churches where God has started to do something in a group of people. Their heart is right. They're getting very serious about Jesus and aligning their life to his teachings and his ways. They have a passion to see this Acts 2 church unfold, to reach people outside of their church and to serve their community and to do new things, to make a difference and for the church to be this thriving organism God always wanted it to be in the first place. And they start kind of trying to pour some of that new wine into that church that's that old wine skin. 
made of a bunch of religious people that make up that old wineskin. And what happens very quickly? Can't contain it. Because they can't expand. They can't stretch. I don't want the new. I like the old. Okay? It's not going to happen. And yet if you read the Bible over the history of God, God is always in the new. He's always doing a new thing. He makes new creations. He, um, he makes new covenants. In, in the book of Psalms, he says, sing to me a new song. He talks about in 2 Corinthians about how the old man must go away and the new man must come. Over here we have the new wineskin. Here's what I'm going to bring you to this morning. You have got a decision to make. Are you going to live in religion or are you going to live in relationship? And they are two totally different things. They lead to two totally different lives. They lead to two totally different kinds of churches. Honestly. Are you going to live in religion or are you going to live in a life-giving, life-changing relationship? And as you make that decision, there's some things that you're going to have to wrestle with that I just want to throw out for you to chomp on this morning. First thing is this. That is the old wineskin of religion is smooth. New wine is tart. New wine is tart. The old wineskin of religion is smooth. It makes sense. It's familiar. It's comfortable. It doesn't upset anybody. New wine is tart. When you taste new wine, it's like, okay, it has a tartness to it. And when Jesus Christ gets a hold of your life, he wants there to be a tartness about it. And the tragedy in our world today is most Christians don't have a tartness to their life. There's nothing about them that sets them apart where people can go, there's something really different about him or her. When God gets a hold of your life, really, there'll be a tartness to it. People that used to like you may not like you as much. People that used to not like you at all might really like you now. <laughs> you know? You might be a little misunderstood. The way you live your life might seem a little countercultural to people. The way you spend and invest your resources and your time and your energy might not make sense. It might align with people's logic. People may not get it, but there's a tartness to your life that sets you apart because God's power is now upon you. It's been unleashed in your life. Second thing is this. Old wineskins are stable. New wineskins and new wine is volatile. There's a volatility about it. And, and if you want a stable serene, perfectly calendared, predictable life. Here would be my advice this morning. Go find a religion and be a part of it. Really. Because that's what you'll find. That would be my advice. However, if you want something that's volatile, that's really unpredictable at times, that's risky, that oozes adventure, then throw yourself into the arms of the way and the truth and the life. Throw yourself into his arms. It's volatile. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. Don't let anybody ever tell you that coming into a relationship with Jesus is boring, humdrum, predictable, flush your adventure, some spirit down the commode. Not true. It's just not true. And then lastly, this. Old wine is what God did. New wine is what Jesus is doing. Okay? Old wine is, is seasoned methods. The way we've always done it. New wine is creative risks. And there's risks that God takes, and there's risks that he's going to call on you to take if you really let him get a hold of your life. There will. Religion will never have you take any risks. Never. Religion will never have you take a risk 
Religion will always have you stay right in the center of the same old, same old, and no change. Jesus, though, is different. He'll call you to drop things from your life. He'll call you to add some things to your life that will freak you out. They really will. One of the disciplines that, that I have is, is I like to journal in my, in my quiet times with God in the morning or in the evening or whenever they can happen. It's not the same every day. But when I can, I like to journal. I like to go to Dollar Tree and encourage you to do is buy one of those like $1 marble composition bound books. Great thing to do. I like it because sometimes I just have trouble talking to God what I'm trying to say. And sometimes it flows better when I can just write it down and I can see it. Maybe write out a prayer to God. It's, it's cool to look back four or five months ago and go, wow, look what was going on here. and Look how God's moved in this time. Things I would never remember. Really encourage you to do it. But I was, I was writing the other day, and um, I was beginning to contemplate. I'm turning 35 in a few days. Yeah, shut up. And, oh, and uh, I was just contemplating some things about that. And I'll, just, I'll just share with you uh, just a little glimpse of what I wrote. I said, hey, God. Almost 35, officially drawing closer to midlife. <laughs> I don't know that I, that I feel any different, but I no longer feel like a young leader. <laughs> I feel like I'm part of the establishment. I don't know if I like that or not. What does that mean for me? Well, number one, it means I'm not supposed to make as many mistakes. Number two, I'm supposed to be more controlled. Number three, I'm supposed to be settled into my life's path. Number four, I'm not supposed to be the one who comes up with bold, risky, and innovative ideas anymore. Number five, I'm supposed to have something to lose which helps me stay grounded. None of these things, God, are concepts that I accept for myself. None of these things, God, will ever define my mindset nor my actions. If a young leader, number one, makes mistakes from an inquisitive spirit, number two, has a beginner mindset, Number three, has energy for new challenges. Number four, isn't afraid to overturn his predictable life and head into a new frontier. And number five, if a young leader believes that his best days are ahead of him, then God, I will commit to always be a young leader before you. I will be a volatile person that needs new wineskins to contain me. You see, it's a mindset, guys. It's a mindset. For me, I just don't want the old. I don't. I don't want it. I don't want the old. I want the old if it's Jesus. And I want the old if it's way, truth, and life. But for me, I find the way that I come into contact with God, the way I grow in my relationship with God, is when there's some opportunities to take hold of. One of those opportunities for me came in June of 2004 when for months I felt God banging at the door of my heart saying, plant this church, do it. And I finally just said yes to God. And I was reflecting back on that moment months ago at one of our baptism celebrations, which as Tony said, by the way, May 20th, if you've never been, get there. It's the coolest thing we do all year long. It's an awesome celebration. But we had just finished. We had baptized like 10 people that day. Awesome day. Everybody was out getting cake and punch and all that kind of stuff. And I was back in this beautiful locker room at Scott High School with wet old Navy trunks and sandals. And I was just sitting there for a moment. And I thought, I just want to, before I go out and talk to people, I just want to drink this in for a moment. And I started thinking through each of those people that I had the privilege of baptizing that day. And so many of them, I thought about where their life had been a year previously. The miraculous change God had pulled off in their life. And, and I just sat there and I wept as I, I just 
kind of watched the film reel of each of them and thought where they were now and what they had found. And I was so moved. And I began to think, what, what if I had never said yes to God? And this story isn't about lifting me up. That's not a big deal. But I'm just saying, what if I had blown that off and not said yes? How many of those people, along with hundreds of others, would still today be destined for hell, living a life that was miserable, that was good but not great, not beginning to know the power of being a part of a biblical Acts 2 life-changing community? And I was just overwhelmed with gratitude for having said yes. It was like I was tasting the succulent fruit. It was like mango just dripping all over my chin and getting all over my shirt. It tasted so good. Unbelievable. And it's something I didn't feel three years prior to that. Three years prior to that, it just seemed like, hey, God wants me to do this. I think there's something he'll smile on. Let's, let's do it. I say all that to say this. Some of you in this room are working the religious system. You're working it, and you're working it hard. And you're doing the deal, and you do a good job at it. And you're not tasting an ounce of fruit. Zero. You're doing the whole drill, the ups and downs of religion and being religious in the church scene, and you're tasting zero, zero fruit. Things aren't popping for you. You know why? Because religion will never give you that. Never. Only one thing will, and that is when you finally say yes to something that God wants you to do. And guys, anything God wants you to do, it's going to be a new thing. God is never going to ask you to sign up for something you've already done or that you've been doing for the last five years. It's going to be a new thing. And the reason why some of you in this room are spiritually depressed and discouraged and kind of doubting God and angry at God, and you go, I just don't feel anything, is because you've not said yes. You've not said yes to God. And I just asked you this morning, what is it that you need to say yes to, to him? What is it that he would be absolutely thrilled having you said yes to? For some of you, it's a relationship with him. That's the place to start. But maybe it's other things in your commitment to him or in your ministry, in your personal life. What is it that would just absolutely please God you having said yes to? And I know you got all the reasons. They're already running through your mind. Well, you, I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't go there. I can't go over here. I can't serve there. I can't give that. My family, my time, my energy, my I know. You'll say the same thing next week, and the week after that, and the week after that. And you keep saying yes to those religious systems, and you still delay then feeling any ounce of satisfaction or tasting any kind of fruit. Getting to a place in life with God where that fruit can just drip down your chin and all over your shirt. And that's why I'm fired up about this series, because I want that for everybody in this room, to be set free from the things of religion and being religious that just suck the life out of you, that suck the ministry and the joy out of a church, and that really have nothing to do with God himself. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There are incredible things waiting for you if you'll just stop explaining away why your system is good and it works and it's okay. If you'll, if you'll just stop discounting what I'm saying here week in and week out, some of you, no offense, you walk in every week and go, that was a great message. I hope the people who need to hear that were here. What if it was you? <laughs> some of you, sometimes I, I know where you're at, and I'm thinking, this, God, I know where they're at and where they're struggling with. Let them hear this. And you go, hey, man, great message. Hope the people here need to hear that. It was you. Woo! 
What if you got to a place there where you said, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to begin to consider finding this life and connecting to God and getting all that life and all of him strictly from a relational standpoint rather than a religious standpoint. What could be the ramifications for your life if you made that decision? And even considered that really seriously. Ramifications are huge. The possibilities for you in this kingdom are endless. I'm going to throw up a couple logos on the screen that I think you'll recognize. Okay? Allstate. What's their big slogan? You're in good hands. Okay? Let's look at this next one. Prudential. Anybody know their slogan? Get a piece of the rock. Come to the rock. Okay? And I'm not ripping on insurance companies. Insurance is important. We need it. Okay? I'm not ripping on it. Okay? I promise. Insurance gives us security. That's what it's supposed to give us. Okay? What I'm saying is for most of us, it's the same thing religion is. And if that's what, what you need, you don't need it if you've already got an insurance policy. Religion for many people is nothing more than insurance policy. It's, it's, a, it's a pie in the sky when you die. It, it's fire insurance. It's, if there's a hell, and man, I don't really know if there would be because God seems kind of nice. I mean, why do you have a place like that? Well, anyway, if he does, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I'm going to walk the aisle and I'm going to raise my hands and worship even though I don't know what I'm doing there, but it looks, seems like the right thing to do. I'm going to put this money in the offering plate. I'm going to attend this Bible verse. I'm going to hang out with these people. I'm going to try not to cuss and not drink as much, but on and on and on and on and on. It's an insurance policy. It's nothing more than insurance premium, a security blanket. And the scary thing is, that's then what we become about. And none of those things, guys, bring us life. None of them. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Not these principles, not these systems, not religion. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. As Jan begins to play, I don't, I don't want you to worry about other people. Quit worrying about other people. They're not your standard. Quit worrying about me and what I do and where I live and what I spend. Don't worry. None of that's the standard. Quit worrying about, well, he's in four Bible studies and she, I, quit worrying about all that stuff. Quit worrying about other people. Quit worrying about what other people do and other people's beliefs. And this morning, get nakedly honest before God and ask this question. Do I really have life? I mean, really. Do I have life? And if so, where are you getting it from? Do you have life? And if so, where are you getting it from? And we're just going to ask you to chomp on that for a moment as some music plays in the moment. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to at least consider, have I, have I maybe abandoned my first love, Jesus? And I've got caught up in being driven by things that aren't him or that are other than him. Rules, laws, Systems, religion, being religious, not bad things, but they don't give me life. And you maybe just need to say, God, I just want to draw back into your arms again and draw near for a few moments. I want to abandon that stuff that sucks the life out of me, out of other people, and especially out of your church. And just maybe need to draw near to him. Would you let God have your full attention in this moment and really consider, do I want to live in religion or do I want to live in relationship? And as you consider that, just draw near to the one who says, me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Let's just reflect on that for a few moments as we draw near to him. And my prayer 
is that there's people quietly in their seats right now authentically simply saying to you, God, I want you. I just want you. I don't want a system. I don't want religious gymnastics, a bunch of spiritual calisthenics. I don't want religion. I want relationship. God, I want your ways to be my ways. And I want your truth to be my truth. And most of all, I want your life. So Jesus, come. Come to us right now. Because individually and as a church, you're all that we could ever want. And I'll tell you one thing, you are all that we'll ever need. God, continue to move us from religion to a relationship. Thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. This program is a production of the Generally Speaking Podcast Network. You'll find this and other podcasts on our website at gspn.tv. gspn.tv. Thanks for listening. internet talk show check it out at talkshoe.com